Hi, everyone, and welcome back to RPG R&D. I am one of your hosts, Jess Geyer. I'm one half of One of the Games, and I make tabletop role-playing games. And I'm here with my co-host, Craig Campbell. Hello, Craig. Hi, Jess. Uh, yes, I am Craig Campbell. I am the owner of Nerdburger Games, and I also make tabletop role-playing games. And uh, we are here with a returning guest. Surprise, surprise. Um, Simon, hello. Hello. Thanks hello. for coming back. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Simon, tell us about yourself. Uh, well, I'm uh, five foot three. I have two cats. <laughs> I love long walks on the beach. Um, I uh, I am marketing director of Flying Light Bear Games. Um, I make uh, tabletop role-playing games. I'm also working on um, a tabletop strategy game, board game sort of a thing. And uh, I'm actually filling out my portfolio right now. So I kind of have my hands in a lot of different things that are semi-finished. Okay, don't Simon, we all? I have to ask, because I don't believe we've met in person. Are you five foot three? I am. Yes. You are? Oh, well, because, I mean, and it's just the bias of my myself. Like, I just assume, you know, the majority of men are, <laughs> well, you know, five it's... foot seven and taller, but there's plenty of very, very, very tall men. I, I I know some very, very tall and some, and some shorter men. Yeah. Um, and I'm always kind of like, you know, and a woman introduced, you know, like, like I, I've, I've had female friends, women friends that are like, you know, six, two without heels. And it's like, whoa, that's like just out of the ordinary. It throws, yeah. me. but People... that's my own bias. <laughs> no, that's fine. I I get uh, I as a as a kind of a point of pride since I am on the short end. People usually don't notice because I I carry myself very well. Oh, good. Um, so there I you seem go. <laughs> taller. <laughs> you come people come away from you thinking powerful personality. Exactly. Exactly. There you go. <laughs> good posture, kids. <laughs> <laughs> good posture is 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 a good idea regardless of height. Hmm. Yeah, I'm. Craig, uh, Craig says as he kind of slouches at his computer. <laughs> I just assume that everyone is taller than me, and when I meet someone who's <laughs> right. shorter than me, I'm like, I feel I'm a giant now. So powerful. <laughs> but everyone on this call is taller than me. So I'm. I'm in. A, I'm. I'm. I have the opposite kind of situation where I'm six feet tall, and so I just kind of assume that the vast majority of people are going to be shorter than me. And then when I'm, like I said, when I meet somebody that's like significantly taller or even, you know, a woman who is a, just even a, the same height or a touch taller, it's like, now I suddenly feel like I'm just a little person. I'm, I'm not that tall, <laughs> but you know, what makes we, you real we tall? digress. <laughs> hmm? yeah. you, you know, what's real tall? What's real tall? A horse. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> Horses. Or a giraffe. A giraffe um, even? Most horses, um, adult horses, yes, are very tall. Why am I talking uh, about horses, Craig? A horse riding a giraffe. <laughs> a horse riding a giraffe. Extra tall. Um, well, that's an interesting role-playing game. Um, I think actually a horse, uh, a giraffe riding a horse would be taller than a horse riding on a giraffe. True. That's true. Good point. <laughs> <laughs> Got to keep track of that. Um, but we're, we're talking today about GMing animal companions of various sorts we might be talking about um just guard animals that you purchase that you know your character has and and trains you might be animal companions that are part of the character's build whether that's a class feature or some something that you sp spent character points on to get um an, an animal a familiar you know a wizard's familiar or um, a ranger's animal companion it could even extend to things like intelligent magic items or other, you know, s secondary, second fiddle sort of um, beings that um, support your character and the group um, in the game and how we as GMs can tackle the unique challenges of bringing them to life um, in conjunction with the player, because likely the player has some pretty solid feelings about what their animal companion is like. Yeah, I think, again, perennial advice, talk to your players about what they want and what they're going for before you start making decisions for them as the GM. Sometimes, like I have, sometimes I have no opinion. Like, yeah, I have a, I have a little familiar, let them, I don't want to control this other <laughs> I don't want to. It's a, help me. Help me do this. What's this squirrel like? 
Um, but also as a GM, I also don't want to do that. So I understand. Maybe I just am not cut out to have an animal companion or a familiar. It's, it's tough as a GM to manage a companion character. Um, one thing you can't, again, this is very much like if your players are on board for this, but um, I was in an Ars Magica game that was uh, like semi-troop style. So whenever one of us had a companion, another person would play it. Um, and for whatever reason, it seems like an individual player, maybe because they only have one character to keep track of as opposed to the GM, like can give a lot more attention to what that companion might be doing. And, you know, again, assuming that everyone's working together, they can make sure that the companion is acting in a way that the, the player with said companion is okay with, et cetera, et cetera. That is limited to a specific type of, of group and game style, of course. Right. And even if you're not GMing the animal companion, it gives you that there's a little guidance, then you can use the information we're going to talk about to kind of give guidance to this other player who's portraying some other other players, um, animal companion. Um, one of the things that when I was thinking about this uh, as a topic, and and I don't deal with it a lot because I don't run or play D&D uh, &D a lot. I, I haven't played a lot of characters who had animal companions or familiars that that sort of thing um just a few times and the, the 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 most difficult thing that i think a lot of gms might um run into i know it's the, the difficult thing that i run into is if the care if the if the companion if this other creature doesn't have a voice you lose what is perhaps your best method and easiest method of communicating what the companion is about what they're doing what they're saying they can't have a conversation with the character in the in the traditional sense um and so i found myself thinking about well what could you do let's say if you were playing you know the, the players playing a paladin and has a, a mount that is like more intelligent of its uh, uh for for a horse um whether or not the horse has its own giraffe animal companion um <laughs> <laughs> and I'm not a horse oh, person. Riding, I've, riding I, a horse. I've not, <laughs> I've not uh, spent a lot of time around horses. I don't know uh, a huge amount about horses, but a little basic um, research into kind of how horses behave and how they do actually communicate with how they, what postures they take, how they use their tail, how they use their ears, um, how they use their lips and, and muzzle. Um, and that goes for any animals. You could do a little bit of digging about that and it would be easy enough to just integrate you know well like okay i'm i'm telling you that the horse is eager by describing the what what a horse looks like when it's eager based on research and and um that becomes the shorthand rather than the horse talking like mr ed and saying i really want to get in there <laughs> i think the the easier thing and maybe even the better idea instead of like I, I love the idea of like actually looking into how especially domestic animals who are in constant contact with humans every day but looking at your favorite fictional animals in the same animal genre so there are a lot of famous like cartoon horses maybe they don't communicate maybe they do um you could you could look at them um for example opona from legend of zelda what's opona like not really a big personality in the game but whatever. Um, everyone still Good loves soundtrack. this horse to death. Everyone loves this horse to death. Actually, the horse is a little defiant in the in when it's on Lon Lon Ranch. True. Yeah. Um, there's um, like a plenty of dogs in Scooby Doo in fiction, <laughs> talking and not talking. Um, there, right. But even if you of... take a right, if, even if you take yeah. away Scooby's voice, he has a personality. Like he's a scaredy cat. Um, he's a glutton. Mm -hmm. You know, there's, uh, but, but he's always willing, like, even like he, you can bribe him <laughs> with, a, with, with a Scooby snack. So you could make up you know, like, you know, how do you get the animal to do something? Well, he, this animal has a, a treat that they like there or, or belly scratches or whatever. Right. Like, like, like right. that's how you can, you can give that personality trait and like that, that's how you get the animal to do something that it maybe didn't want to do. And a good question to ask is, okay, if you want your animal companion or your familiar to be set aside from the rest of the world, what makes them different from a regular animal? Asking that question directly, I think is a really good way to get some interesting insight. What, what sets this squirrel apart from other squirrels that 
you encounter in the wild? Well, this squirrel, first of all, is bright purple and <laughs> it uh, is a kleptomaniac, like whatever <laughs> it would be. Um, and then you can you can go from there. It can be something just as simple as that. It could be one or two traits, um, especially if it's not going to be a huge um, you know, it's it's just the horse we ride on when we're in between towns, or it's just the squirrel I summon when I have my daily summon power ready, and um, this is what it does. Here's his name. Probably going to become a favorite character, actually, the purple squirrel who steals things. Probably. Uh, <laughs> that is, yeah, that's going to be, you're going to have to flesh that one out a little bit more once it gets going. <laughs> well, it raises a good point, though, that like part of what makes an animal companion character or part of what makes a player character even is is this like, oh, this is their thing that they do right this is the part where the party's barbarian with no social skills like tanks our attempt at diplomacy and it's hilarious and we have to deal with the consequences or the kleptomaniac like, we squirrel. love them so much exactly <laughs> squirrely you stole <laughs> you stole the clerk's holy symbol again <laughs> squirrely <laughs> Yeah, I, I think that that's, I think you're spot on. They should be, like, a, if this is important enough for your characters and for you as the GM to be thinking about how am I going to incorporate this in the game, it's probably because you want moments like that. You mm. want there to be a little bit of fun. Um, which brings me to uh, another thing that I think is really important to talk about is what what kind of consequences are you going to allow for this super special character that everyone adores because everyone is much more sad when... Um, the animals die in a movie than when the humans die. Um, but we might get to that in a moment. I'm sure that there's more to t say about fleshing out these characters first. Now you've made me sad. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm sorry. I always, I, I saw a comic recently about what happens when an owl familiar is de-rezzed, de de basically. You know, because you're familiar, you can summon them back and like in D&D &D and stuff, you can summon them back they don't necessarily die permanently although they can be zapped out of a battle especially fairly easily um i was always like terrified to play a character that had an animal companion because i wouldn't want them to die and then i would spend like all of my effort in a battle to make sure that they would stay alive which to my detriment personally um as the character um but I saw a little cute comic about an owl like, being zapped to the realm of owls. And there's a big old owl god. And <laughs> it was so cute. I don't know if you've seen it. I don't want to spoil the comic. I don't want to spoil <laughs> okay. this four-panel comic, guys. <laughs> right. But it's really cute <laughs> and sad. One of This makes me think about, like, when, when you talk about, like, the, the, the companions that can be summoned and then that go away. Like, they're, they're magical and, and, and that nature. And that's... Um, you know, there's certainly the companions that stay with you and that are kind of always potentially in danger. And you have to think about how you're going to deal with all that. And we'll get to that. Um, but then the companions that can go away, like, do they return to the ether and the magic or do they return to a place? Like, did you summon them from a place? If you summon them from a place, um, they may not show up in the best mood. In, like they might have been in the middle of something. Um, you can play that out in the game. Now, it's a little more difficult to do it with an animal um, that doesn't speak or have like, you know, like a day to day life like a, a person does. Um, but, you know, as an example, I'm just going to throw this aside. This is an old, old D&D game when you were summoning, summoning creatures from like the wizard was summoning creatures to uh to fight like you know just summon spells summon monster spells and whenever they summoned these goblins one of the goblins was always the same goblin <laughs> that just kept getting torn away from its family and it got <laughs> so funny <laughs> it got progressively more irritated <laughs> over the course of I time was at my and there daughter's came, ballet okay. recital <laughs> exactly. there came a point where the characters progressed to the point that summoning goblins was kind of a pointless thing to do because they needed more powerful monsters so the goblin thing never happened again and i'm sure the goblin was relieved um but the gm would go out of their way to make sure that that particular goblin always survived the adventure <laughs> so that the goblin could come back and complain like i was in the middle you know like the goblin would show up like with a towel 
<laughs> I was taking a bath. Yes, we bathe, you know, just but you can do the same sort of thing with with animal. Though. Like if you're summoning up an animal, it might be in the middle of a meal. It's like it's hungry right now. You got to deal with it being hungry before like before before you can actually have it go, you know, scout for you or whatever it is you wanted it to do. Um, that would be about... a really good side quest to like secretly give hints that something is happening in this other realm that you're summoning this creature from. And eventually, maybe the players are going to get there, realize that this is the same place. They're going to see this thing in real life and have to have it de- like deal with its actual issues um, mm-hmm. instead of just, you know, dealing it with it for an hour at a time, once a day. <laughs> That's a cool idea. Quick, quick side trick on the getting summoned out of nowhere. Um, one time, our GM decided that in this other world there were beings that could summon intelligent creatures and we were on their list of possible summonings. <laughs> so the entire group got summoned. This happened one time, but we got summoned and because we were summoned, we couldn't, we, we were like kind of compelled to like help this person <laughs> in this other world completely who summoned us across the plains to do some task um, and then get sent back <laughs> at the end of it. That was Silly. Did it one time. It was fun. Not something I would try to compel your players to do many, many, many times, but one time it was a fun. I think if they're really invested, you know, if they're invested in this other being's life, I think that that's a fun road to lead them down. Getting that investment, I I mean, from from the flip side, uh, playing with a reluctant familiar could be... this isn't exactly relevant because I never improved the relationship, but I had a mage once who did like weird, creepy magic and had like an angel familiar and the angel was not happy to be there. Uh, (laughs) And mostly it just followed my character around and like was judgmental and it didn't really do anything helpful. Um, Yeah. I can imagine why. Yeah. Uh, So I didn't really get to improve that, but it would be interesting if you had something that started like that, but you could, you know, make progress with that relationship. Yeah, the the animal ha- disapproves of certain things and keep those things to yourself and let the, the player and the character discover that, like, when you went and did this thing, like... If it's a forest animal, right? Like the first time the the party's wizard lights the forest on fire with a fireball, <laughs> that familiar is like, uh, what the? <laughs> like it gets upset, sad. It gets standoffish. Like it gets maybe a little hostile, growls at you, you know, mm. snarls or whatever. Like you could you could play it out a, a, a few different ways. That's really good for like a companion that is like a a weapon. Like suddenly is mm. no longer doing the weapony things that you wanted it to do in the first <clears throat> place because you are like you're making bad you're making bad decisions. I don't like it. I'm not gonna shoot this. I'm not gonna shoot this arrow anymore. Right. It's the joke of like who's who 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 owns who, who trained who. Mm. You know. Who the, rescued who? The owner, <laughs> the, the quote unquote owner of the quote unquote pet is just as trained. In some things as the as the pet is trained in others mm, yeah um, and you know as as you develop the relationship between the character and the the animal um or the familiar or the magic item or whatever um that might start to happen like if the if the if the character always does certain things to try to get the animal to do stuff like well the animal comes to expect that and like <laughs> the next time the character doesn't do something they're going to sit there tapping their hoof you know, like, all right, what do you got? Like, you you know, the, you know, the routine, let's go. And again, these are all things that you should talk to your player about the, the one who, you know, has this as a reward from something they spent their in-game currency on, or if it was a benefit from leveling up, I, you don't want to, you don't want to make it harder for them to use their resources compared to other people especially like if you're a ranger you already like kind of get a little screwed over in some things like you wouldn't want <laughs> you wouldn't want your dm to like then make it even harder for you to do the the couple cool things that that you're able to do as a ranger uh, and i think that goes for any 
any kind of if you have like a class-based system where like you're the you're the class who gets this thing um that's like that's like saying to the wizard oh your fireball doesn't work because it's hasn't had its coffee yet don't fireball (laughs) until the fireball has had its coffee yet um you need to make sure that it's all something that's like fun for everyone involved of course it's going to take a lot of communication i think that should go without saying but um i think when it comes to i think when it comes to especially animals um because they're so dear to us as humans uh it's it's really important to make sure that you're not accidentally hurting somebody's feelings and that's what i was talking about when it came to what's going to happen to these characters is uh, is it okay for them to get hurt in a battle what happens when they get hurt in a battle can they die these are all sad questions um that must be answered and must have a, a they must have some consent from the table about what happens especially because animal death or animal harm is a common veil or line that i see when i run games and i use the lines and veil safety tool like that that's a theme that people don't want Mm. this is why i'm not a pokemon fan no i love pokemon (laughs) and it goes it goes that sounds like it might be a joke but it's it's not like i really don't like pokemon for that (laughs) specific reason (laughs) yeah it's it's it kind of is a little brutal (laughs) yeah um, and it goes, you know, extend that to like, what if they're kidnapped or get lost? Like, yeah. you're, you, the, the player is reasonably sure, well, we're going to get the animal back at some point. I'm not worried that there's going to be injury or death, but you're also taking the animal companion, the animal away for a time. And like Jess was saying, like, you're taking a feature of that character, that character's build away. So like having the player be like, okay with that happening occasionally, maybe, mm-hmm. um, and then, you know, you can pay that off by, you know, for example, let's say you've got a player that's like, okay, I'm okay if my familiar gets kidnapped by the evil necromancer, um, but, you know, no, no killing, no injury. And so you, the necromancer, you know, steals the, the familiar and you, you, the wizard is without it for a session. But then when they're reunited with it, they have this moment of joy and jubilation between the two of them and like some special bonus or bond thing kind of kicks in that gives them so the player was basically giving up the capabilities of the familiar for a while to get this extra something that they get to now put into play um because they've been reunited or even to become the main character for a moment even to have just that special story moment that they wouldn't have otherwise had that can be fun too yeah having the animal companion have a you know a big win moment every so often not so much so that or or so often that it overshadows the character um but uh every now and then that sparked the idea for me too of if you had a group that was pretty pretty heavy on like you had a paladin with a mount and a wizard with a familiar and a fighter with an intelligent sword that could dance and another character with like a trained animal or something like run one sidetrack adventure where it's just them yeah. where the mount and the the guard dog and the familiar and the dancing sword are that. somehow telepathically <laughs> bounded so they can so they can do they can communicate and they have to go do something to save the characters or help the characters or whatever that could be a ton of fun i love that trope in a cartoon where like the little side characters who can't actually communicate with the other characters go on an adventure and then everyone's back or like even even a side character who can communicate and then all of the other much more self-important characters are doing something much less important while they're saving the world. And they come back like, well, what'd you do all day? Why are you still home? None of this is <laughs> what happened. I love, I love that trope. I love that trope. Yeah, there's yeah. One, of, one of my favorite episodes of Buffy the Vampire Slayer Zeppo. is the episode called The Zeppo, where now Xander is a main character, but he is <laughs> like the, he's the only character that doesn't have superpowers, basically. Um or isn't part of a, like a watcher organization or something. He's just a guy. And there's an episode called the Zeppo where everybody's dealing with another apocalypse. It's coming they have to stop it. And they all tell Xander, you're, you're too frail. Like you don't have what it takes to be part of this. You should just go be safe. And he goes off and has a whole other adventure where he has to rely entirely on himself and bluff some really bad people. And we learn that, you know, in the, in the story, he saves everybody. 
Like everybody's having the fight of their life to stop the apocalypse. If, if Xander fails at what he's doing, they fail. Mm -hmm. um, but no, episode. but none of them know it. Um, and then, and then at the end, he has the great, you know, I'm, I'm totally spoiling the episode, but the show is 25 years old. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but you know, he has the moment where he like, he doesn't even tell anybody about it. Like he just like has his moment and he knows, he knows he like, I know I'm important. I know I did something that was really, you know, worthwhile and, and save my friend's life and I'm, I don't have to make a thing about it and from a jamming perspective that's a great opportunity to have some like if you are struggling developing these characters for your players everyone has an animal companion maybe it's a game where everyone has an animal companion and it's like a whole thing that's a great moment where you can start investigating those personalities outside of how they normally interact um that, that could be a really good tool um for one maybe two sessions now i want to design a game where that's the thing everybody has some sort of animal companion and part of the game is for them to have their own little adventure every so often that plays into the main storyline that'd be fun it'd be fun to play yeah um what about the other side of the coin what about making a game where we are designing animal companions where we're designing mounts where we're designing familiars uh i have like hardly any experience doing this <laughs> this is not something that's in my wheelhouse i'm i'm very curious about um what lessons we can take away from the design perspective i actually do have some experience with this and as i mentioned to to both of you i think before we went on i'm not entirely happy like i have not really reached the point where i want to get but there are some things i'm pretty happy with i i've i had um i i work mainly with a familiar basically it was a, a magical creature and the bond between the the animal and the player was very strong it was like to a certain extent they were like the the familiar was like an extension of the character so the familiar getting too injured could result in the character getting injured, which was part of the way I dealt with that. What what do they do in, in battles? Um, but uh, there's a lot of different ways to, to handle it, obviously. Um, <clears throat> I went the route of like, okay, you can choose what you want this to be. Do you want this to be something that powers you up? Or do you want this to be something that is like an independent entity? Um, and so you can get the magical power-ups, you can have it be its own fighter or scout or whatever. And then there's also, because it was the extension, um, there were, so um, my player uh, picked cats, which I was fine with because I'm a big cat person. Um, I... <sighs> You know what I mean. That came out kind of weird. Um, <clears throat> but <laughs> I'm actually a pretty short cat person, as we discussed. Um, right. So, like, they got, a, like, the, play, the player character could see better in the dark, and the cat could then see better color. Um, so they kind of trade off, they, not trade, but they gain abilities related to the other. Um, so it, it all worked very well in thematically and in terms of many uh system aspects that the big problem i had with designing an animal companion character a, a familiar is that it needs to be able to do stuff that matters it needs to have that level of power but also you're then you're not just giving that player like another spell or attack or whatever you're giving them another action each round of combat and that gets really difficult to balance because then they become two people and that's where i've really run into into problems with with the design is is just the the, the balance perspective and how to how to work a, a familiar like a viable character around that yeah, that's the end in, of my speech. That's okay. <laughs> yeah, I've run into that idea with. Um, I I always fight a little bit with like the the economies, you know, action economy with like how many actions you get mm -hmm. and like how 
what you can do in order to gain another action and how that happens. And I suppose you yeah, have building it into like, if you've got this other creature, um, why don't they get actions? Like does the master creature need to direct, you know, what the other thing is doing in which case, like you said, it's just like, well, now it's just like, it's a bag of tricks. Like mm -hmm. this is, I'm just spending my action to make my, my companion do this thing, um, which, you know, there are games that do that. And that's a, that's a viable way to handle it. It's simple. Um, there could be points that you can spend like you, you know, your, your character has, uh, some pool of points that will, you know, be limited in some way. So you can get that extra action every now and then to get, to have the familiar do something, but it's not going to be happening necessarily every round. But if you want the familiar to be a really integral part of the story in, 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 you know, have something to do, like Simon was saying, meaningful on a regular basis. Um, yeah, that's, that's a tough balancing act. Because this player had invested like good 25 to 35% of their points in their familiar. Like it was a large part of their character, not just narratively, but mechanically. So, you know, I couldn't just be like, oh, you know, ignore the, like, that's, it, it was a, a big thing. Cutting it out, as we said before, is a huge hit to that character's viability and and their their power. At the same time, leaving it in is... I mean, it also is just a lot to deal with mechanically. There's a lot more balancing you have to do when you're when you're doing your playtesting. Mm -hmm. There's just like you're adding a level of complexity when you're bringing in any animal companion and then making them like inherently tied to the character themselves. That is that's a challenge. That's a big design challenge. I don't know how I would handle that. My my okay, I know how I'd handle it. I wouldn't do it. <laughs> I wouldn't do. Um, not that I don't that think might it's be a cool wise. idea. I don't. It's not that I don't think it's a cool idea. It's that I think like I, unless it was like super thematic to my game, I guess. I, but then if it is super thematic to my game, I would probably want that to be like a core mechanic that I'm focusing most of my time on. I don't know. It's that's tough. <laughs> here's a split the difference idea. Um, and I'm basing this off of something that I did in capers. Um, like, let's say your character has the concussion beam a power, superpower. And so you can shoot a concussion beam to bash a door or damage a, an adversary, right? But they have these other boosts and things that they can do with their power. Like I could shoot the concussion beam at the ground and use that to like propel me as like a super jump. It gives me a, and fires me into a jump. But if every time I want to do one of those other little extra things, I become less accurate with my concussion beam attack because I'm putting some of my concentration into like, I'm, I'm firing the thing, but I'm also doing this other thing all in this short period of time. So I'm, I'm splitting my concentration. And so you could potentially do something like that with your character with the familiar is that if you're going to have the familiar do something um, on this round as well whatever it is you're trying to do suffers some sort of penalty. You can still do it, but it becomes a little harder because part of your attention is, you know, telling the familiar what to do or telepathically, you know, or sending a, your bond, you know, whatever it is that you're, however you're linked to your familiar. Um, that's, that's maybe a way to handle it. It would require, you know, playtesting and balance and you know like how much of a penalty is reasonable where the character still has a chance of you know doesn't feel like they're failing all the time but they are taking a risk so it's a risk reward kind of situation i like that my i think my only concern would be like if if we're doing if if part of my action were to pay attention to the familiar it would feel less like an independent creature like if it requires some of my attention, not, not all, like I, I get what you're saying. And I, like I said, I do like it. I'm just like wondering, I'm just trying to, you know, find fault because that's what we do for each other's game. Right. Ideas. Right. <laughs> right. And I, and I agree. There's, there is some of that to that, but at the same time, counterpoint, if you will, um, every group, every character in the group is doing some of that. I'm taking actions to, in response to what this other person is doing. So we're, we're comboing our abilities. They're going to like hit the person with something that's going to stick them in place. And I'm going to drop a boulder on them because they can't <laughs> dodge as easily or whatever. Right. Um, so you're, you know, you are as a, a, just as a character as who's a part of a group, you're splitting your attention. 
It's just okay, that the game so doesn't pen the game doesn't pen you know the, the the interplay between the characters doesn't get penalized for it. Mm. That's the only thing. Mm. And if you can if you can find your way past the idea that the interplay the the interplay between the character and the familiar does provide a bit of a penalty, and it doesn't have to be huge. It just has to be enough that like every so often the character fails to do the thing they're trying to do because of the penalty. Yeah, no, I, well, that's, that's a good counterpoint. <laughs> I'm sure, I, I'm sure if you have a, if you have a counter counterpoint, by all means, cause that's how we hash this sort of thing out. And I'm sure there's probably are counter counterpoints and counter counter counterpoints. And it just I, becomes I, yeah. like, like with a lot of game design, it becomes like, well, where, where do I settle? Where do I find like, yeah. okay, this is the logic that I'm comfortable with. I, for the I think purposes it, of a game. I think it does depend on on preference. Like we could we could probably talk about this for a while, but now yeah. it's probably not. <laughs> <laughs> we could like take a drive to a convention and just talk about <laughs> nothing but how characters interact <laughs> with each other. <laughs> exactly. Like I think I personally would would find it a bit hard to to reconcile. Like I need to pay attention even a little bit to have my familiar to do something. And it's an independent character, but I could see that working really well mechanically. And there's great justifications for that. You know, if you are to some extent uh, like sharing thoughts, maybe it's not that like it takes that energy to control it. Maybe it's that like you know it's fighting a bunch of things, and you've got all these images in your head, right? So um, I think there's a lot of great ways of of implementing that. I don't know if personally it'd be my thing, but I. I I like it as a, as a mechanic. Well, with all of this, it starts, it becomes the question of like, how do you as the designer visualize um, how, how these relationships take place? Like what, what does, what, like you keep, you kept coming back, Simon, to the idea that it's an independent, that the, the you know, an overriding facet of this is that the, the familiar is an independent creature. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So like, it, it either can act completely independently or if there is some interplay between like how much is too much is like, that's the line that you have that you as the designer and anybody who's designing, you know, any sort of thing like that, uh, you, you, you just have to figure out. And sometimes it, it, sometimes it requires just doing it a bunch of different ways and trying a bunch of different ideas until something feels okay. And in fairness, as I said, I, I tried to do the completely independent, independent thing and I did not find a solution I was happy with. So. <laughs> yeah, it's rough. It's rough. It's, you know, effectively, it's another character in the group when it's completely independent. And maybe that's fine. Maybe, but the, it, again, you know, as Jess remarked, it's, you know, now you're adding characters and it's making everything more complex. Fortunately, the way the game worked, it was not like a standard. People had very different skill sets and they tended to have their own times to shine. So it wasn't as big a problem as it would have been in like a D&D &D situation. But that's kind of what saved my ass there. <laughs> sure. Part of what can make that decision for you is the, like the theme of the game. It's like when, when the, when the crap hits the fan, is everybody supposed to be acting because that's how you get it done? Or can you have encounters where like literally only half of the characters are engaged in doing the other in the thing and the other ones are just kind of role playing and doing other stuff and reacting to what's going on. And so then that makes it easy to explain why the familiar doesn't get involved right now. Mm -hmm. and it can be completely independent and then when it needs to be involved it can be but maybe that other character over there isn't directly doing anything because they don't have anything to do with magic and the thing that you're trying to deal with is magic and you and the familiar do the magic and, and mm -hmm. whatever yeah oh man complexities to that yeah. <laughs> you're blowing my mind <laughs> there's a lot to Dude. it <laughs> Yeah, when it when it does come down to it, it is just about what you want your game to do. Um, like what Craig was saying there too. Like, do you want it to be really complex, or do you want it to be simple? And that might make that might mean making some design sacrifices and leaving some stuff up. Like, this is open to the table's interpretation of how this exactly happens, or, um, or even instead of having a mechanic to link the characters together, maybe it is more of a role play aspect like there is there are some tasks now that you have to do you use this companion in your battle now you have to do this this and this otherwise then then there's a problem then you can't use this anymore um like you have to maintain the relationship outside of um like just through role play 
Um, which again, if you're like dictating, if you're mandating a certain kind of role play, that does become a mechanic in and of itself. You're just not maybe rolling dice. Um, or maybe there's no combat in your game at all with your animal companions. Maybe it's all about, I don't know. There's, there's plenty of things that, um, don't necessarily have to be like this big turn based, um, slaying the dragon, um, feature, to also have these um these characters be interacting but yeah in my opinion though like the more the more familiars you add the more characters you had at the table the more mess it is for everybody involved and i'm not saying mess derogatorily i'm just saying it is going to be a heavy weight to pull maybe in your game you limit the amount of uh player characters in general maybe instead of having the traditional you know, whatever it is. Sometimes I've seen tables of seven players and I'm like, how do you do that? I don't <laughs> necessarily want that. But like a four or five, six players, maybe you're limiting that now. It's just two or three, or maybe even it's just a one-on-one game. Um, those are all ways that you could kind of mitigate that. But again, it, what do you want your game? What to do be? you want? What do you want <laughs> your game to be? <laughs> that is what you were saying about role-playing there um, and, and also limiting... One thing I did do earlier on in like the the power the familiar power tree, um, and this is an excellent example, by the way, of like if you have something you don't want your characters to do, don't just put it behind like a really high XP paywall because they will pay that law. <laughs> um, <laughs> yes, yes. But um, at first, it was like this: this familiar within this certain physical range of you is a special familiar, and if it leaves that range it becomes just an animal of that kind. Um, and that did, you know, A, focus it on the role play because it was around more. And um, B, at least, you know, there was still like during um, a, a combat or during a, a group interaction, there was that extra character, but you didn't have to deal with, okay, my familiar is going to go off on their own and, you know, do this. And then as the, GM, I have to figure out, okay, does it succeed? Does anything happen to the familiar? Does... So that at least for a while was a mess I didn't have to deal with. <laughs> Hindsight is twenty twenty, yeah. as they say. Yeah, I, I don't... I'm trying to think of some of the games that I've encountered that have like a pretty well-developed familiar. Um, I mentored somebody this summer who was working specifically on... Uh, a supplement with dinosaur companions in Pathfinder. Oh, awesome. Um, Pathfinder is pretty intense with its rules and the things that animals are capable of. Uh, and and what my mentee wanted to do was to um, make sure that, like, as these dinosaurs are growing, like, literally physically growing, because... If you if you remember from your magic school bus days, they start off as little <laughs> eggs and then they become titanic, gigantic, um, big as buildings creatures. Um, how do you how do you balance the growth of a companion like this? Um, do they do they ever grow? Do they ever change? And how much do they? Um, and I thought that that was a really interesting conversation to have because when you think about it, like a cat, okay, like you're a cat, you're not gonna the the power the power level is not going to increase exponentially like that they're not going to be ever able to i mean unless i guess if they're super powered cats they're not ever going to be able to like lift a truck they're never going to be able to like kill somebody in one bite they're a cat you know pound for pound cats are the most deadly land animal on on the planet <laughs> is it I, true i think that's they're true they're just not yeah. that many pounds <laughs> well i mean <laughs> Then you have tigers and lions, though. True, true. Mm-hmm. And those are pretty. Those are a lot of pounds. Um, yes. But thinking about um, thinking about that, like addressing the growth of the character could uh, of the of the companion. I'm calling them characters because that's what they are. Um, addressing the growth of of these animals throughout their lifespan. Um, are they going to progress in the same kind of way that the player characters do? Are you going to streamline it that way, or is there going to be a completely different system for how they grow and are capped? Um, what kind of powers they can take? Um, I think that there's there's a lot there, but then there's also like all the physical limitations, like I was mentioning, like the cat is small, 
they can't do a lot. It also doesn't have opposable thumbs. I don't think they, unless you're kind of being a Sometimes little goofy with it. Sometimes they have thumbs, but not opposable, yeah. <laughs> right. Unless you're being a little goofy with it, is that cat ever going to be able to pick a lock? Is it ever going to be able to cast a spell? Like, those are all um, things that you have to consider in your game design, too. What is the progression? And how does that progression relate to your character? If there is a progression, like, do you, when you level your character, does your companion automatically get better or does it get better every other level? Or do you pick, like you can have a game, you could design a game where the, the companion is integral to the story. And so your character always has to be higher level than them, but you decide who, when, when, when you, the group of you level up, either I level my character or I level the, companion but i but my character needs to remain higher level because they're the primary character or whatever or maybe they don't um maybe they can be equal level or whatever uh you know it's that becomes the question of like how you're going to deal with all of that and a lot of that can also be um in part determined by you know we got really deep into the weeds with talking about specific design um (laughs) without without hitting some of the, the general thoughts that i had too which oh, was we still like, have time what yeah yeah and that's why i'm backtracking um is uh you know like what purpose do they serve in the game are they are they full-on npc are they a uh, rules what what's their point what's their their rules impact what's their storytelling impact what's their role-playing impact um you know are they mostly a bag of tricks for the character to be able to call upon or are they independent um what role do they fill? Are they, you know, guards and skirmishers or aides or mounts or advisors or whatever, um, you know, different companions can have different roles. They might fill multiple roles. They might be able to switch. They, you know, they might be jack of all trades. There's, you know, giving thought to um, what all of that is will, and what the capabilities that you want to give them are that will impact like everything we've been talking about. Like if you're familiar, can cast a lightning bolt, spell that's a much bigger deal to worry to, to, to think about game mechanic wise and balance wise if then if your familiar can like give you plus two to some checks every now and then like it can confer with you to help you make knowledge checks or it can um help scout help you scout and give you bonuses to spot things and you know or you know can it grant you a wish like you know like how far can you go with it that becomes mm. Yeah, I think that, that tying, complexifies tying, everything. Tying a character or a, like a companion to just a specific move that your player makes and kind of having it be a mobile a mobile station to be um to be doing that thing. I think that is a a, fi- a an interesting way to handle things. I think that's how a lot of companions work in a traditional style T- uh, TTRPG where okay, I have this bird that's a scout Basically, it is a way for me to perceive over there. Um, if it's just handling one thing, also it makes it easier for you as the designer and also easier on the GM too. Okay, this is the thing that it does. Otherwise, it's just a regular bird. Yeah. I, the, the way I handled that, what, well, that I actually was pretty happy with, though obviously it has its own flaws, um, was to, to offer this this choice, as I mentioned uh, towards the beginning um, of, of um, okay, you have three paths you can go down here. One is the, basically this is a source of powering up your magic in some way. They are attached to this move. The other is that this is um, like, you guys share traits, you get traits from this animal, it gets traits from you. And the other is the like independent creature route. Um, and, being able to pick in and choose from those I found in practice was helpful because there were things from each of the trees that uh, players wanted. Um, so it did keep them from being over-specialized. Like I had a character who invested a bunch in the independent creature tree to be able to get a larger familiar. Um, they were playing in um, uh, uh, pre-invasion, I forget the actual term, but pre-invasion um, Aztec, uh, like, you know, uh, Mesoamerica, um, and they had a jaguar. And so the jaguar could pounce on people, but it also had the ability to command other jaguars and s- smaller cats. And and it ended up spreading that out pretty nicely. And it did have the ability to cast spells, but again, that was something that had to be 
bought and part of the this is uh nemesis so spells have a sanity cost and the the player also took some of that sanity loss when the when the spell was cast um, also this is only sort of related but i'm going to say it because i find it hilarious um i also had a character who had to take an ability to cast spells because uh they were a roomba um Stop. <laughs> i love that oh my gosh <laughs> Because they were they were new to Lovecraft, and we explained to them the whole idea of Migo putting brains in jars, and they were like, "Well, can I can I have my brain in a Roomba?" <laughs> like <laughs> I I can't think of a reason to say no to that, so I guess yeah, you can do that. I I love little robots. Um, <laughs> I, I I I find them so cute. Um, in the means of magic, we do have. We hint that you are allowed that this the rule system allows you to do a lot of creative things with it. Um, just like in the amount of the ways that you spend your points, you every point you spend on a skill can let you do one one concrete thing. Um, so one of the things you can have as like a special trait for your character, because everyone gets one, is that you can have a fey, um, a low fey companion, <laughs> and they are they're more like like they're 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 sentient but like not supremely intelligent um like a like an animal in that case whereas a high, uh, a high fei a high elf fei is more like a human um and you can have one of these little guys follow you around uh and <laughs> maybe maybe they are going to do things that you expect and maybe they won't because they are completely um they are a completely foreign kind of entity to humans they do not think that the way the way that we do they have their own programming um and you aren't actually in control of of them, but they like you for some reason. They're with you. <laughs> Maybe you like that. Maybe you don't. Um, but they are. It's gonna be hard for you to get rid of them. Um, we used an actual terminology for like um, people people who use tech to do something extraordinary, like to do something outside of their regular ability, which is literally the term is a centaur. Um, and we thought that that fit in really well with our fantasy theme in general but i love little i love little robots i want to play roomba i want to play a jar and a head roomba now in a lovecraft game <laughs> i went on a tangent just to circle back to i want to play that character specifically oh ronnie the roomba oh my gosh yeah there's in, in that game um for for reasons like i won't take the time to go into they they have like these special higher powered forms that are like their quintessence is that character uh, the Roomba, their form was like a singularity, um, so a teeny little black hole, and they could just suck up like whatever, like people or magic or like <laughs> rules of physics. Um, yeah, it was it was fun. It and then I found twenty dollars. Oh no, I think that that is a <laughs> I I love that idea of a character. I'm going to steal it. Oh please, um, yeah, and. I am going to bring it into every single game I play from here on out in my life. It doesn't matter what the theme is. There is going to be a little bit of now. Um, I am going to make an adventure for the means of magic that has a little Roomba. I am ready. I am ready for it. I will let my player know. I think um, that just goes to show you that um, you can expand your idea of what necessarily a companion is too. Um, because I would say, yes, we have all these fantasy creatures, which are, we typically think of as animals. Like you have horses, you have unicorns, you have blah, blah, blah. Um, but also when you look from a more modern perspective, um, or maybe a sci-fi perspective, you have Kit from Knight Rider. Um, and you have like, you have there are all sorts of like mechanical creatures that kind of act they kind of fit in the same position as an animal would um so if you have for example if you have like a car in your game you're you're in this like futuristic ish world where there are cars and the cars do these things for you you should probably look into how animal companions are treated in a in a role-playing game in order to incorporate that to your character too i had to make it sound educational i'm really good at like trying to <laughs> trying to bring things back to my my lesson plan when i go off on a tangent well done 
If you hadn't <laughs> said that, I wouldn't have noticed. <laughs> I've I've gotten the sense over doing many dozens of episodes with Jess that she treats the podcast at least a little bit like teaching, yeah. like like what she does for a vocation. So I don't realize it, but I am probably being taught and and and. I don't want to say manipulated. That's not the right word, but you know, uh, uh, influenced in those regards, the same way that you, you know, using the same tools that you use to kind of get the point across to students and communicate with them to make them retain things and, yeah. and spark creativity and conversation and so forth. Yeah. Most crazy. It, awesome. It is a, um, a good insight to how I do teach, which is a series of tangents. And then I point back to my <laughs> standard and be like, here, this is what we were doing this entire and time. All, and by all <laughs> yeah. of that, I mean. <laughs> um, any other thoughts on like how we design for our companions in a, in a game familiars? Uh, you know, getting into the complexity thing again was, you know, does the familiar need its own full set of stats? Do you treat it like a character in terms of all of that sort of stuff? Or can a truncated set of, you know, information rules, qualities, abilities, keywords, whatever, um, do the job? Because as, as Jess was talking about, and Simon uh, exemplified with his struggles with dealing with the complexity of an independent character, uh, companion character, you know, like, it makes it more work at the table for the GM, for the player, for, you know, if, if, if the, if the companion has its own full character write-up, that's as complex as, um, as a character's is, then yeah, that makes it more complex. But if you can truncate that down, like maybe they don't have six stats, maybe they just have one physical and one mental, whereas your character has like multiple physical and mental stats and, you know, you can kind of, tidied up and they, they they don't have a bunch of they have just a few abilities and then they have a few keywords that are like if 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 they're doing something that involves these keywords then they gain some sort of a bonus or you know or whatever but that's creating subsystems as long as they're not difficult to integrate um they're not necessarily as complex as uh like defining the the companion as completely as you do a character the only other thing i would add is just that you know, it, whether you decide to do it simply or in a more complex manner, as as you've both said, it does add mess to the game. <laughs> mm -hmm. But it is worth it. I think like 95% of the time it is worth it um, because either you end up with something that's very simple. The bird may not have a lot of personality, but it just lets you see over there. Or you end up with um, something that's more difficult system wise and you know harder to manage role play wise but you know you can use it for plot to give hints you can build its personality so i think there's just i mean i'm a big animal lover and also roomba lover so um i may be biased here but i think it's it's just worth doing i think that that is what you could say about having animal companions in real life too it does add a lot of mess to your life but 99% of the time yes mostly literally <laughs> uh, but 99% of the time it is worth it um and people are really drawn to to characters that have these because pets are a huge part and animals are a huge part of human life in general I like what is it like how many what percentage of people have a domestic animal at home I think it's mm. like a majority of people at least my, in the United States my cat is the only creature that I am um when it removes like half the skin from my arm and I start bleeding, I am pleased about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, to, to a limited extent, but it's like, okay, you're grooming me. You care. Maybe, maybe a little too much, but. I, my, yeah. my skin is not as thick. Yes. I looked it up. The 70% of us households own a pet. So this oh. is like, it's a, well. it's a huge experience, experience, experience. I can say that word. Uh, and your players are going to, want that mm -hmm. yeah yeah well simon thank you for so much for joining us today to talk about animals and roombas thank you for having me <laughs> that's like the name of the things. game yep. that's the name of the game <laughs> <laughs> where can we find you and your stuff uh so www.fnbgames.com is where you can find flying nightmare games we have beyonder some supplements and a bestiary um uh, the bestiary has some wonderful art in it. 
And uh, we're currently working on a 2.0 that's a lot simpler system-wise. Um, it's in process, so I don't want to say too much about it. Um, other than that, as I said, I'm filling out portfolio stuff, so it's all over the place, and I'm not even going to try to, yeah. I should have it all on, a web, on one website soon, but at the moment, yeah. Awesome. Again, thanks for joining us. Yes. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at, at Jaska or on TikTok at Jess is Awful, both of those subject to <laughs> terms. Um, and you can find me perennially at, I've used the word perennial twice. Uh, you, you can find me perennially at www.wannabegames.com or on DriveThruRPG or on Itch under the same company name. And you can find me at Nerdburger Craig on Twitter and Mastodon. Uh, my website is nerdburgergames.com. The games are available on DriveThruRPG. If you're thinking about checking out anything that I'm doing, a good place to do that is on the Discord that I have, which we have a nice little community of people. Um, and I'm, French, I'm, apparently. I'm inching closer. Yeah, I'm inching closer and closer to uh, uh, having us run a game jam over there on cool. the Discord um, sometime in the future. So if you go to Twitter and you check my links up at the top, you can find uh, a Discord invite, I believe. And if you can't, uh, it, there's a Discord invite on the website as well. Uh, thank, thank you to our opening and closing theme song, which is Avel by Steph Sachs, which was licensed under Creative Commons. Thank you, Steph Sachs. And thank all of you for listening, and we'll see you back here next time. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.